Welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Zoe Gardner is a mother of two, a research scientist and a postpartum activist. She is the founder of Postpartum Matters, a non-for-profit organization working to share postpartum stories and to change the current healthcare model, which regularly sees women being discharged before they are ready. She is dedicated to creating this change while supporting those who have suffered through their experience. So welcome, Zoe. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) I just want to thank you for being here and thank you for the work you are doing in the world, shining a light on the way our current healthcare system treats and often fails young mothers at their most vulnerable time. And I think it was through speaking to you um, a few months ago that I really noticed that I was seeing an increasing number of young mothers just a few weeks postpartum being forced into A&E with ongoing problems with bleeding or pain. And they really seem to fall between all the cracks. And I think the work that you've been inspired to do has actually come from your own personal experience. Would you be willing to share to share that experience with us? Yeah, so I think... Um... Yeah, this all started, gosh, um, it was September 2021 um, that I officially started Postpartum Matters. And, and that came from me, actually, I shared my my story on my personal um, social media. And from that, I realised how many people are struggling because I, you know, I too didn't. I just had no idea. I gave birth to my second child um, in October 2020 and I, it was, I gave birth at home, it was a fairly straightforward, like no complications birth. Um, I tore my labia and I had a second degree tear to my perineum and when they were um, stitching me back up, when there was a complication, and one of the stitches got stuck and they said that it was fine, like everything would be great. Um, it would just that that stitch would take a bit longer to dissolve. And then what happened was that um, all of the other stitches dissolved and came away. And then that stitch um, didn't let my skin try to like, heal around it. So I ended up with this really kind of sore part um, right um, next to my clitoris. Um, I couldn't we properly um I was bleeding like when I if I would like walk or do any kind of movement I couldn't rock my baby for example like or it would or I would bleed um it just was so so painful um and I essentially had like a a hole like the way it healed um so it, it was just awful and that was I want to say it took me like about four weeks I think till I dad look at it <laughs> and I was just trying to kid myself that it was fine and that I was just healing and and everyone that I spoke to about it was like oh no I'm sure it's fine 
Um, and then I looked at it and I was like, oh, it's not fine. And then at that point, you know, you get so you get discharged from your midwife at, at day 10. And I remember having that. So when I was discharged, um, I still had stitches. Um, I was still bleeding heavily. Like I still had like so many issues. Like my tummy muscles hadn't came back together. But because my baby was fine and healthy, and I, my pain at that point seemed to be getting better, then they were quite happy to discharge me. And then obviously, you know, four weeks in, I realised that it wasn't fine and I wasn't fine. And I remember texting my midwife um, and saying, like, look, I've, you know, I've looked at it. This is what the situation is. Like, what do I do? And she was just like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't, I can't help you. Like, you need to... Um, you need to go and see your GP to be referred back to gynecology. So I went to see my GP, which at the time was that was an incredibly traumatic experience in and of itself. Um, in the pandemic, I wasn't allowed to take my what five, six week old baby in with me at this point. Um, and I was breastfeeding, so that was just this whole extra layer of nightmare. And you know, the GPs aren't, aren't trained really um, to be able to pick up on problems um, in such a specific, you know, quite a specialist thing. Um, so she she did look at my vulva, but to her, it just looked normal. Um, but she obviously, and again, I, this is the whole thing about listening to women. Um, I knew it wasn't normal for me. But in her mind, it just looked fine. So she actually said that it was probably just an infection. Um, she prescribed me canistin <laughs> and said that I had to take that. I had to put that on for a week, and then I could come back after a week, and we would test for a UTI. And like I could literally see a hole, and it's <laughs> just like it's not fresh. Um, and then thankfully. I, so I paid to go and see a private women's health physio who was amazing. And she got me in to see the emergency gynae who'd confirmed that it wasn't it wasn't going to get better by itself. So then then you get put on this kind of like <laughs> roller coaster where you get you get discharged before you're healed. Then you have, you know, things go wrong. So then you have to get referred back. Um, that took. I didn't see the gynae. I was almost four months postpartum at that point. Um, so I'd had four months of not being able to do anything really without it hurting or bleeding or anything. Like my husband just had to take reduced hours at work um, because I couldn't, I couldn't look after the baby by myself. I had my... Um, scar cauterized, which is just horrendous. And I was really not prepared for it to hurt. And then I got put on a waiting list um, for surgery. But the um, it was seen as being cosmetic. So I was basically right at the bottom of the list. Uh, so I didn't get seen until September, so September 2021. So Hannah had just turned 11 months and I had surgery and I had to go back to her. This is how wild it was. So my, my maternity leave had finished. So I had surgery on the Thursday and then I went back to work on the Monday. 
it was just wild. And then again, so I got discharged again straight away. And then again, it didn't heal properly. And I was back on the <laughs> on the wheel. And actually two two and a half, we're coming up to two and a half years later and and I'm still not right. Um the trauma that that's had on on my body has um my pelvic floor is too tight. I can't run. Um, I can't exercise or move my body in the way that I did previously. Yeah, it's just had like a massive, massive impact on everything. And and again, so coming back to kind of the initial question, I guess that when I when I shared that like privately, the amount of people that resonated with it and were like, yes, I've been through similar and I just thought there's no space for us to talk about that like these things aren't being shared like I had no idea even when I was going through it I had no idea it was something that anyone else went through and so that was really um that was a big part of my wanting to set up the space because I think I felt so alone and when in reality, there's just hundreds and hundreds of people who are going through the same thing all at the same time. You felt galvanised really to amplify their voices. Yeah, because I think you go into it not really being, you can't be prepared if you don't know what's coming at you. <laughs> How can you possibly be prepared for it? Um, and what, and I'm really, what I'm really hearing from from your story, which really was, quite shocking to me and then I only sort of recognized it once I'd spoken to you personally so is just you know you're discharged from the health visitor or for the midwives at day 10 mm-hmm. so unless there's a problem that's highlighted from day zero to day 10 and let's bear in mind that in those 10 days you're adjusting to having a newborn your body has just gone through this enormous experience and I guess I'm guessing you don't really know what's normal what's not what's right what's not you're you're bleeding how much is normal how much is not is it going to stop is it not and 10 days is really not a lot of time for you to adjust and recognize when there is a problem that may be needing dealt with and I really hear that when it's not recognized between day zero and day 10 the amount of bureaucracy that you're needing mm-hmm. to go through in order to get seen and heard makes it like compounds the problem in the delays that that means to getting treatment and the access to people who could potentially help with that. It just it just seems to me like there's a lot of delay um, and that delay has a real impact on not only your body but also your mind um, yeah. and your experience of your new baby and your experience of um, your new life. Well yeah I mean I guess I lost that I lost the first four months like I couldn't have the experience that I wanted and that is in in part of the survey um so that I've been running that since the very beginning and that is a huge common theme I think one of the questions is whether or not you feel you have um sufficient access to healthcare 
got living discharge and I think it's something like 75% of the respondents um, currently I've had like 650 people fill it in, 75% so that they didn't feel like they had adequate access to healthcare afterwards. And you do really just feel like you just <laughs> left left to it. I, I think because, as you said at the beginning, I think the, the GPs or the midwives that also see your health visitor, the health visitor is that, oh, you can go and see your GP. And, and in reality, like no one's really there holding space for you and making sure that you're okay. That's it. And um, you mentioned the postpartum experience survey and you uh, you have set up the postpartum experience survey using your research scientist background to really try to qualitatively and quantitatively in some ways get an idea of putting your own experience into context who else is having these experiences? How many of us are having these experiences? Which is a really powerful way to understand the scale of the problem. So tell me more about um, the postpartum experience survey. You've, you've said that you've actually interviewed 650 people to date. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And what are the common themes? You're saying a, common, a very common theme is that people don't feel they have got adequate access to the services they need. What would you say are the other common themes that you have learnt? So I guess the the survey um, was set up in terms of, I I really wanted to understand what the impact of that tender discharge was having on others. Um, The questions are kind of all around that really. Um, So I think something wild like 90 90 to 92% of respondents had some sort of stitches in some way. Um, And then, so when you take into, when you take that into account, the the proportion of people that will be fully healed at day 10 is just tiny. Um, I think it was something like 85% weren't fully healed when they were discharged, which I just find absolutely insane. And then when you look at the percentage that feel like they didn't have access to healthcare or they didn't feel adequately supported, it's just horrendous. And then and then as you say, it does that then um that then has an impact on your mental health. So I think between seven I think it was like sixty-five to seventy percent said that their postpartum experience had a negative impact on their mental health. And I think when we look at the um rapid increase in postnatal depression um diagnoses, currently I cannot remember the the current statistics, but they're horrendous. I just <laughs> I think we're just we're missing a really big thing. Like, of course that people are depressed because we're not looking after, they're going through something which is physically, mentally, spiritually, like all of the ways demanding and challenging and we're just leaving them. And it's impossible to, how are you supposed to heal and get better and look after this tiny new person when you've got no one supporting you? Yeah, it, 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 it quite frankly just doesn't seem good enough and is a, perhaps a reflection on the society that we live in and the value that society is actually in real terms giving to, to young women and mm-hmm. young mothers. 
And as I said before, like actually in A&E, I'm seeing these young women come in just desperate. They don't know where to turn. Um, And ordinarily, I would have said, well, this is not an accident or an emergency. Obs and gynae are not interested. They are going to say, go back to your midwife. It was only after talking to you that I realized, oh, the midwife's not accessible after Mm -hmm. day 10. So then go back to your GP. And that's a really, um, I guess, not the best experience for some people because not every GP has an interest or a special interest or a background which is adequately equipping them to deal with quite a specialised, as you say, medical area. Which And why is there no one dedicated to holding mm-hmm. our young mother's hands through probably one of the most challenging experiences they're going to ever have. It doesn't make any sense. As you said, it doesn't make sense. And it it feels like an emergency. Like, I think when you were in the middle of that and you, you know, you sleep deprived, like, regardless of how you feed them, like you're juggling all of that. Like you're trying to learn what they need. Like, what does that cry mean? Like, how do I do this? And then at the same time, like you were physically broken. Like it really it really feels like an emergency like and especially when you you do go and you do reach out to the places where I think it's the like contrast as well between pregnancy like when something's wrong in pregnancy and I know this won't be the experience that everyone has but I, I do feel like we get so many appointments and scans and if it's a problem like that I had like I had my midwife's phone number like I could just text her and she was there and then and then you have the baby and they see the baby's five and then it, you're just gone, like it's gone and you have nowhere to go. And it really does feel like an emergency. Like I I could not function and I just did not know what else to do. It's an act of desperation. And as an, as, and as an isolation emergency doctor, I'm not trained to mm-hmm. actually be looking um, at the perineum to understand what is what is going on and what it should look like at the stage of the postpartum journey. So you really, we, you know, you, we really, yeah, we really need to understand that it, it almost feels reminiscent of The Handmaid's Tale, you know, from what you're, what you're saying. I mean, we're looking after our women in order mm-hmm. for them to give birth to um healthy babies but then once that's done see yeah you're on your own you're on your own and and that yeah that that's that 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 feels quite jarring having that reflected back um uh both being part of the medical profession and also being a woman myself um feels um feels jarring yeah and I definitely that I mean having a daughter this time around I think made a massive difference in how I viewed it (laughs) And and really kind of spurred me on in terms of the activism because it is it it's so hard and you see people struggling and I think wow it gets put back on you like there's so much of that guilt because because we don't talk about it and because we don't share how hard it is out of a good place because we don't want to scare people but I think what it does is it makes you kind of feel like everyone else is coping (laughs) and it's 
you're just not coping and why are you not coping and something wrong with you as opposed to actually that the whole system is just set up to make it incredibly difficult and impossible it's just it's yeah it's wild what would you like to see most you you want to see an overhaul in how we deliver healthcare to our young mothers if you got given the chance what are the top three priorities you would see being different? So I think we need to stop being discharged so early. I just, you have no clue what 10 days. There's no way that they have any clue what 10 days, whether or not a complication is going to arise. Um, like, okay, like I don't want to see them every day, but they, you know, you need to have someone as a point of contact where if something does go wrong, you can just get in touch and be like, this is happening. Like, what do I do? I mean, you just you just don't know. I think at ten days, you literally do not know what is happening, <laughs> or if it's even ten days that you just like in a complete fog. Um, it really wasn't until kind of four weeks, definitely four weeks in, where I just thought like this isn't this isn't right. But mm-hmm. that's how long it that's how long it took me to stop mm-hmm. and think like, no, this isn't this isn't happening. So currently, we have a six week GP check, which it's just it's just pointless um I think if anyone actually has it and a lot of people don't a lot of people have their six-week check sort of like lumped in with the baby having their check and their vaccine so then you go with your baby and then you don't really talk about you and there's just sort of a tick box where they're like oh are you feeling sad and you're like oh no I'm fine and then they try and give you contraception and it's just the most um, so I think that that needs to be just desperately improved for for everybody. And what improvements would you like to see? Would you like to see a dedicated a dedicated mother check as well as a dedicated baby check? Do you feel well, so that, that that's already supposed to happen? So you're mm-hmm. supposed to get just a check for you as the mother, um, but it very very rarely does. I actually don't know anyone. I don't know anyone that's had a check on their own. Um, you can request it, I think, but then I guess, again, that's just you having to fight for it. You just have to fight for it all the time when you try it. Um, and then the truth is that the GPs aren't, they're not trained to really know or understand or to be able to like forward you to the right people. Um, and that was my experience was kind of having to really fight for a referral which was really really difficult um yeah so that would be that would be my second one would be really kind of having that six-week check and having the gps um be trained adequately to perform it um because as it as it stands they just yeah it's just a tick box and and it's really not conducive to and as well I mean I remember having uh, my first one and my six-week check with my first baby and this was so even when things are fine and things go heal properly and all of this um, I think you still have like some anxiety around like healing I just remember I had a second degree tear with him as well and I just remember, like, just wanting someone to, like, check it and, you know, tell me that it was okay. 
because I mean it didn't feel like it wasn't okay but also how would I know like I'm not why would I know that um and this is something that's a really common kind of concern um and at least I found is that we go to these checks and and they won't look at our stitches and they won't look at the wounds and they won't check that everything's fine like they literally they want to speak to you and they want to check that you know you're not showing signs of depression or whatever but yeah they won't check um any sort of scar tissue and and that I didn't realize kind of what impact that had on me but until um I was pregnant with my second baby and this was like seven years after I'd given birth and my hypnobirthing instructor was talking about perineal massage and I realized that I just hadn't touched it in seven years like I just completely dissociated from this like whole part of my body and I really do think it was because I'd gotten to this checkup it was a male doctor and he just would not look at it when you are ill or you have had like a medical procedure you just want that like reassurance of them being like yeah that's fine and I think because no one gave me it I just was like oh god like I can't think about that (laughs) anymore so even that that was a completely normal um a completely normal birth and normal recovery like everything was there was no complications at all and and even that like I didn't have the care that I needed to Mm. just yeah, to carry on, I guess. So as part of a six-week check, to have a mother's check and to have a, an examination to ensure that things are healing in the way that would be expected rather than only if there's a problem, um, that feels like an important part of a postnatal check. Definitely. I think that that's a huge one. I think there were a lot of people who kind of who ask and it's quite a big it's a hard thing to ask someone to look at you vulva <laughs> you have to have be quite brave um and also really want it and think it's really important so a lot but sadly has happened in my case as well you know you ask and they're just like oh no I don't I don't need to look at that unless like you think there's something wrong and then you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't think there's something wrong, but I don't know. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, yeah. It's that, it's that sort of energy of having to fight for something that you think should be quite standard and would be quite reassuring um, mm. to to have done. And um, if it's been refused as well, that sort of feels um, feels off and doesn't yeah. feel good. And what other what other changes would you like to see? So I think the final one, um, and this is something that I know there's quite a lot of people looking into, is is getting. Um, I think it's a check at nine months. Um, so currently you get you get discharge at ten days. Um, your health visitors around, but as far as I'm aware, they're very much there for the baby. Um, mine certainly wouldn't didn't really offer me any sort of support other than telling me to go and see my GP. Um, so then you got your six-week check and then you're sort of just left to it. So I think a lot of people now were campaigning for a GP check at nine months. I think a lot of the research shows that, especially in terms of like birth trauma, um, you don't really start processing that and, and realising that you have trauma or showing signs of trauma until about seven months in. And Because because I think there's a certain aspect of just 
surviving <laughs> at the beginning and you you don't really have the time to sit and think about what happened because you're just so wrapped up in having to look after this tiny person and like what is going on and um not sleeping so it takes quite a long time for you to kind of stop and to be able to have the space to step back and be like oh actually like I'm really not okay and so I think that having a checkup later on in that first year would be just really beneficial for those people who currently are just falling through the cracks because they're not presenting as having like serious um issues at six weeks because they're just kind of I don't know surviving on adrenaline and then and then you never get seen by anyone again (laughs) um but for me I just think that yes that would be amazing but I think that again as we've we've discussed with the six-week check it needs to be done by somebody who is trained in that area and who is able to recognize birth trauma or to recognize when you know something's not right because that there's just so I think women's health in general is it's underfunded and under research I think we know that um but you know I do think we do we have knowledge out there and I've learned so much from my um women's health physio in terms of what is normal and what isn't normal but like I've had to pay for that and that's just something personally that that I have been able to do for myself. And I think that needs to be, when we're having these checks, they need to be by people that can look at you and can say, no, that's just a normal thing. Like that'll, that should clear up. Because there is stuff that, you know, I, for example, with my first birth, I definitely experienced pain um, whilst having sex, for example. So, for a good like yeah, but then that because I was breastfeeding, there's like, loads of things that that does with you, like your hormones and all of this other stuff that I just had no clue about. And why don't we know all this stuff? And why aren't there people telling us about it? And I worried about that like needlessly for such a long time, and then it just got better. Like I stopped breastfeeding, and it was fine. Um, and how do you know that? How are you supposed to know the difference between a pain that's normal? and a pain that isn't normal so we need these checks to be run by people that are trained basically that know what they're talking about Mm, mm. it really sounds like we need sort of someone to take the reins for women in the postpartum period for the first year to reassure young mothers what's normal and what's not and for there be a point of uh, and for there to be a point Mm -hmm. of contact for when things are not normal then there's actually a process that we can go to so that the referrals are as timely and efficient mm-hmm. as possible to reduce the suffering um our young mothers are sometimes needlessly going through um and that no, not only impacts our young mothers personally but there's an impact on how they're going to bond with their babies. There's an impact on how their young family is being, mm-hmm. is, is able to operate at such a vulnerable and crucial time. So this is really, I'm really hearing that we, without anybody who is adequately trained in the postpartum period, 
women are really left um, to fend for themselves. And that just, that's just really um, sad and mm-hmm. makes me quite angry. I mean, there there is a lot of people now um, on Instagram. I found so many. Now, since I started talking about it, I found so many accounts and so many people um, that do help and do provide support. But again, I, I didn't find these things when I needed them. <laughs> um, I remember Googling like any sort of combination of words that I could think. And I'm a research scientist, so I think, I'm, you know, I like to think I'm quite good at Googling stuff. <laughs> and I just couldn't find anything. We shouldn't be relying on Dr. No. Google, quite frankly, mm. to actually guide us through exactly. what so many women are going through. I mean, the postpartum experience isn't niche. And I'm really um, learning through um, the activism that you um, are courageously doing that there's a huge gap. There's a huge, mm. there's a huge gap. And that gap has a huge impact. Now, in response to that gap, you are used, you have become almost well, what you've termed as a postpartum doula. Can you expand what you mean by that? Because this is a new phrase that I hadn't actually heard coined before. Um, and I would love to learn more. Yeah, so I didn't know they existed either. And I think this is where we come back to kind of needing Dr. Google, Um, because this is it, so I I searched and I searched and I didn't find anything. And then um, the most random, it's the most random story, but I think it was just after my surgery, um, I was working from home. So I'd just gone back to work after 18 months off um, and I had stitches. (laughs) in my lab year and it was wild so I was working from home and I was on Instagram and literally just by luck I think I'd supported like this random kickstarter and the postnatal doula Grace on Instagram had also supported the same kickstarter and they'd shared her page and I was just like what is this this is wild and that was, and this is it's luck right I just like literally by luck found this woman and was like oh my goodness like this is an entire thing and it is like there's hundreds and hundreds of us um yeah so I've since trained with Grace to become a personal doula myself so um really what that is is somebody I mean, it's personalised to the family and the situation, but you can be there. Um, usually you would meet them while they were pregnant. Like you can talk through, kind of make a postnatal plan. I mean, this is the other thing, you know, we, we plan our births. Like we plan our baby rooms. Um, we don't plan our postnatal recovery. <laughs> we're just supposed to... Um, just get up and walk up, <laughs> walk away and be completely normal, which is really not, it's not reality at all. So yeah, so you, we help you make a personal plan. And then a personal deal is really someone who can be there right from the beginning and they can help with anything really. So, you know, if you're struggling with feeding, like they can help support you with that. They can help. Just, it's really giving you that reassurance at the beginning because you do kind of, you don't know what you're doing and they don't come with a manual. 
And so you just think you're doing everything wrong. So it's having someone there to be like, no, no, that's fine. But also, you know, just keeping on top of like the housework, um, you know, doing the laundry, cooking you meals, because that's absolutely impossible when you've just had a baby. And really just being there as an extra pair of hands. Um, I think all kind of postnatal dealers offer different like different things that are their specialities but really it's just about like holding the new mother and the family as a whole so again you know if they've got older children like keeping them entertained and helping them with the transition and just really creating space so that the mother can bond with the baby but also supporting her in her healing I mean, I would have loved one, but I didn't know it existed. <laughs> mm, that's it. That's it. It's not. Um, it's not a common experience that most women get, and yet it sounds so supportive. Um, and you're so right. There's such a contrast from pre-birth to post-birth, which feels a bit mad. Um, so to have someone guiding, supporting, mm-hmm. holding you through that period sounds, I was going to say almost necessary, you know, sounds is, real. Yeah. yeah. And and it's a luxury as well in the current in in the current um system we have. Um mm-hmm. I guess back in the day our mothers and our grandmothers would be um, the postpartum doula for for us, but we don't live in a society that um, has multiple generations living under one roof um, at in the vast majority of cases, and so there just isn't that level of support um, in our households. So to know that we can actually bring that into our household um, for a period of time that. Um, is deemed necessary and if we have the resources that we um, need to bring that in it sounds like um, something so important and valuable I think that was the kind of the whole yeah like the reason that I really wanted to set up as a social enterprise because I really do think it is essential care and you know, finances really shouldn't be a barrier to accessing that. Um, yeah, I think you just, you need somebody there. So it's hugely important. And I really thank you for the work that you are doing to shine a light on this issue. I have not been aware of it until now. So well done. Well, you are shining a light. You know, you you have made me aware of this huge gaping hole that we have within our healthcare system. Um, what that sort of how that impacts young women and what we really need. Um, this these conversations matter, and the postpartum period matters, and our young mothers matter, and it's about time that we recognised such a transformative time in a woman's life and give them the support that they so clearly need so thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world um zoe and uh for anyone who wants to get in touch with you how can they find you and how can they participate in the survey that you've got so that we can build those numbers and really get a collective voice um to 
to push for change? Yes. Um, so I have a website that's postpartummatters.co.uk and the link for the server is on there or on Instagram. Um, I'm postpartum underscore matters and the link to the survey is in my bio. Perfect. I'll put both of those into the show notes so it's easy for people to get um, to get to. So thank you so much for the work you're doing, Zoe, and thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening, Body, Mind, Soul Seekers. If you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists, learn more about what they do and how they can help you, check out my new holistic healthcare platform, The Witchy Women. Or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people, book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.